So what is at the top of your bucket list? What is the number one thing that you want to see in this world during this life? I think I've mentioned this in a sermon before, but I've never seen the Grand Canyon. I'd really like to see that someday. There's a picture of it right there. Uh, maybe also the, the Old Faithful Geyser, Yellowstone National Park, or the, the Redwood Forest. I'm guessing many of you have, have seen that one before. And those are all things that are you know, kind of in our backyard right here. Maybe you want to see some things that are on the other side of the world too. Maybe you want to see the, the Great Barrier Reef off the, the coast of Australia. Pam's maybe seen that before. Um, maybe you want to see this. This is Victoria Falls in Africa. They say this is the, the most magnificent set of waterfalls in the whole world. Or maybe Machu Picchu, that, uh, that ancient civilization that's nestled up in, beautifully up in those mountains in South America, in Peru. Or maybe you want to see the Aurora Borealis, the, the northern lights. All beautiful, beautiful displays of God's power, beautiful parts of God's creation. And yet, Jesus tells us today that we are going to see something even more amazing than all of them. Jesus says, even better, even more remarkable than seeing the most breathtaking corners of God's creation is seeing the creator himself. And so this morning, we're going to focus in on beatitude number six, where Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What do you think of that statement? I can't get inside your head and know exactly what you're thinking, but I, I do know that a month ago, before we started this worship series, we sent out a poll and asked which of these Beatitudes, these blessed statements, were most interesting to our church family, which ones we wanted to study the most. And this one came in dead last. And it wasn't in, wasn't in my top three either, I don't think. But why, why is that, do you think? I, I suppose it's not quite as as thought-provoking, as uh, poor in spirit, you know, that phrase that we needed to kind of break down a little bit to really understand what it means. It, it's not quite as picturesque as, as hungering and thirsting for, for righteousness like we talked about last week. It's definitely not as attention-grabbing as the last beatitude, as persecution. But I do think this beatitude poses a question for us. In, in Thursday night worship, we're Smaller numbers, we have a little bit of a back and forth in the sermon. Somebody said, well, this, this beatitude makes me think, I'm not pure in heart, so I'm not going to see God. And that's the question, right? If we all want to see God, because we see the glories of his creation, and we know that if he made all this, he must be even better than all that. If we all want to see God, does that come with some terms and conditions? Is it pure in heart only? And if so, how do you know that you qualify? So that's the question we're going to focus on and dive into a little, a little deeper this morning. And it, it, I think it's a question, and, and this beatitude is a, a verse from the Bible that could maybe cause you to have some, some questions and, and some, wonder about some things as you read through God's Word. In just a little while, we're going to formally welcome Keith and Wendy and Claudia and William as officially uh, members of our, our church family here at Light of the Valleys. And, and last week, they went through their final starting point class, and we were talking about 
you know, moving forward, once we're done with starting point, what are some ways that we can continue to dive into God's word and continue to learn, learn about God and the things he tells us in the Bible? And we're talking about all these different ways we can do that then. And one method that, that Pastor Heckendorf talked about was uh, you could do a, like a topical study of the Bible year by year. So at the start of each new year, you could, you could fo- say, I'm going to focus on this topic specifically for the rest of the year. I'm going to try to learn a lot from God's word about this topic specifically. And so that got me thinking a little bit. What if we did that with this beatitude? What if that was our topic for a whole year where we just tried to learn more about what Jesus is saying here and more about the context of this verse? And rather than waiting till, till 2024, I'll, I'll, I'll fast forward you ahead to the end of that process and tell you that if you were to do that, I think you might feel like you're getting ping-ponged back and forth just a little bit. Because if you start in the Old Testament, open the front cover, you're going to pretty quickly end up in Exodus, and you'll read God say, no one may see me and live. Then you'll, you'll end up in the book of Job, and you'll, you'll read Job say, but I know that my Redeemer lives, and I will see God with my own eyes. How do you, how do you reconcile those two things? Or then you'd end up in the New Testament and you'd, you'd learn that no one has ever seen God. You'd read that in the Gospel of John. But then in the book of 1 John, written by that same human author, you'll hear, but we will see him as he is. Again, how do you make sense of both those things at the same time? Maybe you'd end up right back here at Beatitude number 6, and maybe you'd say, well, this must be the key. No one can see God except, except for the pure in heart. And then after all that, you're back at that same question. Is that you? In our first two weeks of looking at the, the blessed life, we talked, about, we talked about the fact that Jesus is not saying that these beatitudes are a, a how-to guide for how to become blessed, right? He's saying that, he's speaking to believers here, he's saying that you already are blessed because of your faith and because you are all of these things. But that's where I think this specific beatitude presents a little bit of an obstacle, a little bit of a, a question, because you know, I can understand how I am, I am poor in spirit. I am spiritually broke. I have nothing to offer God. I have to rely on him entirely for my salvation. I can grasp how, how I, my faith in Jesus makes me hunger and thirst to live a, a God-pleasing life, like we talked about last week. But neither of those Beatitudes implies perfection, does it? And, and none of those other Beatitudes that we've read talk about purity and require purity. And yet that is exactly what Jesus requires if we want to see God. That is exactly what Jesus requires. And so we, we, we know our own hearts, right? I, I can't look into your heart, and you can't look into mine. And yet, we know our own hearts. I look into my heart, and I know, you know, I do believe in Jesus. And I do hunger and thirst, and I do want to live that God-pleasing life. And yet, purity? God requires a heart that is has no imperfections and no sin, completely free of contamination. 
And when I look into my own heart, that is not what I see. And I can't see into your hearts. But I know that that is not what's in your hearts either. God says that all of us are unclean. All of us are sinners. And even while we can only see the, the full extent of our own sinfulness and we can only know what's, what's in our own individual hearts, God sees it all, doesn't he? I mean, human beings look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart is what the Bible says. And so all of those, all of those secret sins that we think only, only we need to know about, only are between us, just like King David, thinking that he had gotten off scot-free and washed his hands of the situation, God knows it all. The things that we think we've locked away in our own hearts or, or pushed out the back of our own minds, they're all out in the open before God. And so we know that our hearts are not pure. And yet we're here because we want them to be. Problem is, that's not exactly something that we can accomplish on our own. You know, if, if you want to be washed clean, but the only water you have access to is a, a dirty puddle or a drainage ditch, scrub away all you want, but you're not going to walk out any cleaner than when you walked in. We really need to come back to that, that first beatitude, that understanding that there is nothing that we can offer God. There is nothing, we have nothing, spiritually speaking, to give to God to say, I'm pure or I'm clean. We could drive ourselves to the brink of insanity trying to be pure. And yet those impurities are always going to be there. Which is why this morning we said we made David's confession in prayer our confession in prayer. You know, we hold on to those words from, from King David because... We didn't write them, but they're just as true for us as they were for him. Create in me a clean heart, God. Create in me a clean heart. Not take what I have and fix it up a little bit because it, it's pretty close. It just needs a boost. But, but start from scratch. Make something out of nothing, God. We, we ask the, the creator of the universe to just create a little bit more because we know that he can. Create in me a clean heart, God, because the heart that I have is so full of sin and so full of impurities that I, I want it as far away from me as possible. I want a new heart, God. I want to start fresh. If we were to do that, that year-long study on this beatitude, we would learn pretty quickly that our God specializes in creating new and clean and pure hearts. In the, the book of Ezekiel, for example, where, where all you hear about is how God's people are so rebellious and they hear what he says and then they turn and do the exact opposite. And God's prophet Ezekiel is wondering, God, what are you going to do about these wicked, sinful people of yours? God says this. He says, I will give them an undivided heart, and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. Or in the, the book of Jeremiah, 
prophet Jeremiah, who dealt with those same exact wicked people as Ezekiel did, God says this, I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. And notice the order of events in those verses. It's, it's not first get your, get your act together, first clean up your heart, and then go to God and say, okay, God, now I'm ready to follow you. No, God says first he gives us that new heart, that new heart of faith. And only then can we return to him. Only then can we follow him. And as you continue your, your Bible study there, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, you'd, you'd, you'd read about Jesus living, dying, and rising, and going up into heaven. And then you'd come to a, a sermon from the Apostle Peter where he talks about God who, who knows our hearts and who purifies our hearts by faith. So that's, that's really the key. That the pure in heart are not pure by their own doing. The pure in heart are purified by faith in Jesus. The Bible says the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. And so human beings can, can try to scrub and scrub away in that, that, dirty, that dirty water, but we'll never be washed clean until God brings us to the clear and flowing water of Jesus' forgiveness. God constantly cleanses our hearts by faith. We, we say, create in me a, a clean heart, O God, and he says, it's already done. We talked about how our hearts are impure, but, but at the same time, they're not. Through faith in Jesus, God washes us clean. And no matter what our, our struggle with sin looks like, God's forgiveness and his mercy is always going to be bigger and stronger and better. Believers, you and I, we cannot escape that purifying forgiveness of Jesus. And it washes us so clean and so free from impurities and stains that God himself says he forgets about the impurities altogether. All he sees is that new heart that he made. Not an, an unbelieving heart of stone, but a, a beating heart heart of faith that he gave to us through his word, uh, a heart that knows him, a heart that he purified by faith. And so we could, we could say amen right there, I think. Maybe you'd be okay with that. But we could close the book on the Beatitudes and, and we could be done with the sermon series. But I wonder if we did that, if maybe, maybe you'd be content, but maybe not quite satisfied. Because, like that, in that poll that I mentioned, the tied for first place, tied for the number one beatitude that we wanted to talk about was the final beatitude, talking about persecution. We haven't talked at all about, about persecution yet. We haven't talked about the fact that Jesus says you are blessed even if and even when you suffer because of your faith and you put your life on the line because of your faith. And so I don't want any of you to walk out the door today thinking that we just dodged the most difficult one to talk about. But I, I do want us to talk about this beatitude in, in the, the same way that Jesus does. Jesus didn't start off his sermon 
by telling you, okay, here's all the, the things that, that, that might happen to you. Here's all the struggles and the hardships that you might face because of your faith, so buckle up. No, first he tells you about this abundance of blessings that you have because of your faith. He says, yours is the whole kingdom of heaven. God's comfort is yours. You will inherit the earth. You will be filled with God's righteousness. You will see God. You will be shown God's mercy. You are children of God. He tells you all these things. And only then does he say, because you have all those things, because you follow Jesus, some people aren't going to like you. Some people are going to hate you. Some people are going to lie about you. They're going to slander you. They're going to insult you. Jesus says, because you follow him, some people might want to hurt you. They might even want to kill you. And I pray that none of us ever has to face that. But the, the reality is, hundreds of millions of Christians around the world already are facing that. And so why, why do we cling to Jesus at all costs? Why do we hold on to Jesus, in, even in the face of something like that? Why are we so certain that it's worth it? I once heard it described like this. To live is blank. To die is blank. And if you fill in that first blank with something or someone or, or success or power or fame or money or acceptance or recognition or anything that is not Jesus, then to die is to lose that, right? To die then can only be the greatest loss imaginable. If your life revolves around and is defined by something that you can only find in this world, then to die is loss. But if to live is Christ, if living to you means waking up every day thankful for that new heart of faith that God gave you, if life to you means growing in more and more in the grace of God and, and cherishing his love and looking to reflect that mercy and love into the dark world around you, if that's what life is to you, if to live is Christ, well then and only then can you say to die is gain. If death means seeing God, then to die is gain. And I know, to die means to give up on the bucket list, doesn't it? I found myself getting a little carried away this week looking at, looking at all those pictures that we showed at the beginning and, and reading the list of the top ten places you must see in your life. And that, that thought kind of hit me. I'm not going to see it all. I'm going to go to my grave without seeing some of the most amazing things that God's creation has to offer. But you know what? That's okay, because Jesus tells us that when our eyes close for the last time in this world, and even if our eyes close for the last time without seeing any of those wonders, Jesus says they're going to open again to see the one who made them all. You and I will see God. We will stand in the presence of the one before whom no sinner can stand, and yet with with hearts that are purified by faith in Jesus, you and I will see our Redeemer, and we'll see him with our own eyes. 
Brothers and sisters, that is the blessed life. Living in the grace of Jesus. Living in that promise that in heaven, Jesus says we will see it all. Amen. And now the, the peace of God that transcend, transcends all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. We'll continue this morning by speaking our confession of faith together with the words of the apostles.